Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, I wanted your advice on this show because it's a topic that's come up a few times, and you and I were chatting about it outside of the podcast because uh, we've both had clients with the same conversation that's come up, and it's particularly within executive groups, but it could really be within any team. And it's what gets in the way of an honest conversation. You know, like we've often seen teams where they just fail to like really express themselves and really have the true conversation that they need to have. So I'd be interested Mm. to hear your take on that. Are you up for it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking that I don't think that there is one engagement, you know, that I, that when I'm working with teams, there's not one that doesn't have on its list of wishes to be a high-performing team, robust and honest conversations. And it's really interesting to me that even some really effective teams find having this open, honest conversation quite difficult. So I think it's a really good topic to focus on today. It's a curious one because like you say, even within you know a group of constructive individuals, shall we say, the team dynamic can still sometimes make it hard people to really you know, be upfront and straight with each other. It gets kind of padded. So I guess on that note, Corinne, you know, how would we know what are the signs, if you like, if we're in our team, what are the signs that maybe we're not having some of these honest, straight conversations? You know, how would we know? Yeah, I think, look, some of the signs that I see when I'm watching a team in action are things like indirect language. Mm-hmm. So it takes a long time for the point to be made and the the nature of the language is very unsure. Maybe, I don't know if this is right, I might be wrong, but maybe and um, sometimes and there's a lot of use of them and other departments. So very non-specific, mm-hmm. generalised, global language and it takes a long time to get there. So I think this indirect language and a lot of words being used, so flowerly language, to kind of, I think the intent probably unconsciously or consciously is to soften what they think might be a blunt point. But I think that's one of the big signs. The other sign I see is an issue that continues to come up in a team. Mm. So even in one team meeting, there's an issue that some of the team feels have been dealt with, but it keeps coming up anyway. So to me, this is a sign that not everything has been talked about in relation to that issue. And it keeps coming up as an exploration, a different angle. But I find that usually, especially if the same person is bringing it up, that's really a telltale sign that they haven't felt heard or they haven't felt that the team has covered all the issues that they think are important. So an issue that recycles is another sign. Yeah, and the I other mean, big, we, yeah. we all see that, don't we, where the same topic just comes up week after week or month after month and yeah. you can't seem to close it. Yeah, and there's kind of some yeah. unresolved differences. You know, it's kind of Unresolved differences. Of yeah. And sometimes it might be, very often I find that 
the person who keeps bringing it up or the people, they never felt completely heard. Mm. And so therefore the resolution as far as the team is concerned, rest of the team members never really landed with them because they never really were heard. So I think that's another one. So indirect language taking a long time to get to the point, an issue that recycles. The other thing is the opposite, silence, mm-hmm. you know, where somebody asks questions and suddenly you can hear a pin drop because everything's just hushed mm. and there's nothing. It's like somebody's raised something that's gone into the void. Yes. So it's like the, I'll throw an idea out there. It goes onto the table, through the table, down the black hole, never to be seen again. <laughs> and people just kind of move right. on. Like we don't even acknowledge it or like respond to it. It's just say, okay. (laughs) Or they get kind of, oh, yeah, and then nothing happens with it. So, you know, the agenda items or the issue that gets raised and then just seems to disappear, Mm. you know, into the ether, the team moves on Mm. into a new topic. Mm. So I think that's another sort of sign for me that there's more that needs to be said. There's something that is uncomfortable for people around that. So, well, that's at least four signs. What signs have you seen, Dom? I, I would add to that humor sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it depends how we use humor, right? It could actually be from all, all parts of the circumplex. But I see it sometimes when teams are having, they're getting into the awkward conversation, the thing, you know, that's at the heart of whatever they really need to discuss. And as it starts getting a little kind of testy, you know, a little. What's the word? A little tense. Maybe yeah, a, a little prickly. tense or yep. something. Someone cracks a joke and we're out of it and we <laughs> kind of move on. It's like a little escape escape valve, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, good. It's well-intentioned kind of like, well, we're, as far as people don't, we don't want awkwardness. You know, we don't no. want that. But sometimes you have to have that to actually have the conversation, you know? And yeah. so the joke gets made. And then everyone gets to kind of like, oh, thank God, <laughs> you know, and move Take on. a breath. And then, you know, that gives us just enough time to pivot onto something else. There's that, another thing I, I had a mm. thought of is when, so we've talked about humour, we've talked about indirect language, we've talked about taking a long time to get there. The other one I see is a lot of explaining and justifying why I'm about to bring up this issue without actually going into the specifics of the issue. So I'm going to bring something up. I know it's something that we don't always do, but I just see it often enough and I thought I'd bring it up here today because it's something that can be a real problem. And I know no one means to be. So there's a lot of Mm. kind of explaining and rationalising before we even get to the topic. And again, I think it's about trying to, you know, not offend anybody by bringing up the issue. It's the whole you know, if you think of it in circumplex term, making it okay, it's kind of over an approval, isn't it? And yeah. on the flip side of that conversation is when, you know, you do raise the, you know, the elephant in the room, whatever. It's like, oh, but I don't think it's that bigger elephant. Like, <laughs> you know, actually, I don't mind the elephant over there. You know, it's quite well-mannered, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we kind of minimize it, I guess, you know, rather than actually discussing it for what it is. We're trying to make it yeah. okay again. So, yeah. you know, so it's the two to tango kind of stuff as well. It's not just on the people to raise it, but how do we receive it um, Exactly. Well. And I think that part of it is, you know, those examples where someone's raised something and then there's silence, it's like an abandonment of that person, that issue, mm. which is in a way saying, oh, we don't have that issue, only you do. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's one of the the things that I see is when somebody is brave enough to raise something that they believe is an issue for the team, but there's no one that comes in to support them, not because the support's not there, but because it's just been too risky, you know, to put themselves out there. Of course, what that does is leave somebody hanging, you yes. know, out there on their own. And so the lesson that they take from that is I'm never going to do that again. The other part I see with that, Corinne, is the meeting after the meeting where it's like, oh, I was with you. You know, I totally agree. This is a terrible idea, right? But we didn't speak up during the meeting, you know? So you and I go to the coffee shop afterwards and saying, what is that lot on about, you know? But we didn't talk about that in the actual meeting, you know? We didn't actually yeah. bring it up. So nothing gets resolved, right? We're just kind of now having that conversation to ourselves. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Don, because I think people often say, because the other sign I think is when I talk about an issue I have with you to another one of our team Mm. mates. Mm. And sometimes I have people say, yes, but I'm just kind of venting and I'm downloading in order to be able to have the conversation with you. And, you know, that's a kind of, um, there's a level at which I get that and that can be quite helpful if you are going to have the conversation. But it can also be a type of avoidance and you know, there's also the impact of what's the impact on the team member who's not involved in the issue of actually kind of being caught up in a sidebar discussion that actually doesn't relate to them. Yeah, so it opposes indirectly, right? Yeah. I think in, in circumplex terms, you know, so, you know, look, I think you can have that conversation if it's how do I best have this conversation with Corinne? You know, that's the topic yeah. rather than his why Corinne really annoys me, right? And, yeah. and so it really is preparing to then have that actual conversation yeah. with, with the actual person. If it's Yeah, I agree. I think if it's a warm-up to action, appropriate action, so if the reason I'm having this conversation is I'm trying to think out loud so I can have a better conversation with the person that's, that it's concerned with, then I think that's kind of, I think I get it and I think that can be appropriate. So, Corinne, what gets in the way? Then, like, what stops us from having these honest conversations? You know, why do we get these symptoms that we're just talking about? Oh, I think there are so many reasons, Dom. I think that one reason will be that when you've got a, often people don't want to hurt. They don't want to hurt each other. Mm-hmm. I think this is true a lot of the time. Even if um, even if you've got a team that don't really get on that well. I think it's true for a team that gets on very well and they really like each other and respect each other. And if that's the case, then they're worried about damaging it by speaking honestly. Mm. And I think it's also true for teams that are in trouble and have low trust because they're in a more heightened sort of situation. So any kind of criticism, however well-meaning, might be taken the wrong way. Mm. So I think a big reason is that people don't want to offend they don't want to hurt. They're worried about how the other person will react. So sometimes I think it's it's a fear, a sense of concern, not only for the other person, but for me too. Mm. Like what if the person gets really angry, mm. you know, and it feels quite like an attack. So I think there's that reluctance because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to offend. I'm worried about how they'll react. Mm. I think that's one reason that 
what gets in the way. And I think, look, I think that's probably a big part of the reason why people don't speak up. What about, what do you think? I totally agree with both of those. I think also it's the, well, like, is it worth it, you know, kind of conversation, which is maybe just a build build on yours, right? Like, you know, I'm worried about offending them, you know, is it worth that risk? You know, mate, mm. oh, I don't know if it is or not. You know, to your examples earlier, when we're talking about the symptoms, you know, the throwing out the idea or the thought and it goes through the table down the black hole, there can be a bit of a, well, you know, I've tried kind of stuff. Yeah. People don't <laughs> listen. What's the point? You know, throw your arms up kind of stuff. And it, look, I think it can be difficult because a, a dynamic can really take root in a team. Mm. And it can be hard to break that dynamic, you know, because, mm. well, we, we don't, no one's really having the honest conversation, so you know I'm not going to be the one who starts. <laughs> you know, yeah, or we've or let, I've we've been let, the one. Yeah, I've been the one, and and then been slammed for it, been abandoned. <laughs> yeah, or slammed, been, or been abandoned. Right. Or you know, we've let it sit and fester for so long that to bring it up now is like a big conversation, and I think that's, I think that's the danger. That's the danger yeah. when we when you let stuff sit, it goes from a what could have been a level one, level two conversation between us to suddenly now it's like a, you know, Corinne, for the last six months or the last 10 years, you've done this thing and it drives me up the wall. And it's like, well, Yeah, but you know what happens with that? I think that's so true. You know, people let it build and let it build and let it build. So in that six-month period, they may have had quite a few opportunities to raise it, have decided not to for whatever rationalisation I gave myself it's not the right time, I'll just deal with it, you know, I'll call it, I'll raise it later. So for whatever reason, I didn't do it. So not only didn't I raise it, but I've hung on to the resentment. And so it still annoys me, it still upsets me, but I haven't been able to raise it. And so if I let it build and build and build, you know, and then I raise it with someone, then the other person's reaction is going to be, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me from the very beginning? I like what you say about the different levels of conflict, Dom. It might be useful to share that mm. with the um, our community. It's You know, it's just a, a thought around often when we view conflict, we view it at a level 9 out of 10 or something like that, right? Level 8, level 9, level 10. You know, like we're having a serious conversation now, Corinne. You know, like <laughs> it's performance review time or, you know, whatever. But I always think, what were all those missed opportunities on the way to level nine that we actually didn't intervene? You know, which could have been a, hey, Grin, you're a bit quiet in the meeting just before. Is everything all right? You know, maybe that's a level one, level two kind of intervention. You know, is everything all right? You know, how are you going? What do yeah. you think? Or, or bringing people in. What do you think about this? Like, I can tell that actually you've got more, more to say. And so I think we, we don't see those as part of our toolkit. You know, we only think of, and you know, I love it, like crucial conversations and stuff like that. I love those techniques; those are awesome. But that's when the stakes are already raised. You know, the stakes are really high. Yeah, I reckon we can actually yeah. hedge off a lot of stuff before we even get to that level. Yeah, by having that early, early conversation when it's at a level one, you know, a level two. I think so, but you know what's interesting about that, Dom? I agree with you, but I think sometimes at level one, people aren't sure. Typically, they think, is this, I don't know if it's just me, am I overreacting? Mm -hmm. You know, so they're not Mm -hmm. sure whether they're 
generating the issue or whether there actually is one. And so I people wait for some repetition or a pattern before they say anything in order to justify it, which is a tricky one, right? So early days, how do you kind of nip it in the bud when, you know, it might be early enough that it may not be a fair thing to do. But I think to your point, you could sort of raise it and say, look, I've been noticing something about how we interact with each other. And one of the issues that might be, you know, getting in our way, I thought I'd share it with you. I'm not sure, you know, it's early stages, but it, it probably worth putting it on the table and us having conversation about it. So you can kind of let people know that you're unsure, but that you would like to raise it so that you, as a team, you could kind of decide whether it was an issue or not versus sort of giving it a miss completely. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So how do you, I see what you mean by like, yeah, level one, who knows, but it could be like, it's really just a check-in, you know, so it doesn't even have to be. Yeah. Because what you're describing there, I think is more getting towards level, I don't know, in this fictitious scale, but level four or five or something, right? Because it could just be like okay. as small as, you know, how, how's it going, Corinne? You know, like yeah. I'm not even like getting into it, but it's like, you know, what do you think of that meeting? You know, or yeah. I don't know, maybe that's the meeting after the meeting talk. But even if if we had that though, and you said, well, I, f- I feel like it's done my day, it's like, okay, well, we need to take that back to the group or something, right? Yeah. You know, but it could be like, what's the absolute minimum level that yeah. you can intervene at at first and then kind of working upwards. Yeah. And one of the things that I think with teams too, especially the ones that kind of come to us saying we need to have robust, we've got to be able to do conflict better. To your point, before there's conflict, sometimes there's just practicing disagreement, you know, allowing people to have a different view and to express it, which isn't necessarily conflict. It's just a sharing of and canvassing of different views. So I think that that's an important part in the team. But I wanted to go back to the question that you asked recently around what gets in the way. So we talked a bit about people not wanting to hurt or offend and there's the other side of it is I work a lot with leaders who find it difficult to raise a difficult issue, what words to use, mm-hmm. you know, how to bring it up, how to that first sentence, that first word that comes out of your mouth when you're getting ready to talk to someone. And so I find a lot of people get stuck at that point and they just don't know how to do it mm-hmm. because it, it does take a lot of courage, I think, sometimes to consciously and willingly know that if you're going to raise a difficult issue, the concern is, the fear is that someone's going to react badly, you know, and to decide to do it anyway. So I think one of the stumbling blocks to raising issues is not knowing how to, what are the words to use? Mm. So it'd be interesting to go into what what are the words to use mm. and, and what advice mm. would you give people? So, you know, when, when leaders come to you and, and talk about that, Corinne, what is what is your advice to them? Yeah, I think it's a combination of what you've talked about already, which is kind of not waiting for things to build up before you uh. you address it. Because if you act on it earlier, it's a question and a check-in versus a correction and a disagreement yes. or conflict. So I think that's the first thing. One of the things that I've learned from myself is um, – when I was a new manager, I had to give some performance improvement feedback. 
I really valued this person on the team and I wanted her to understand that. But my experience of actually having this hard conversation was that it was really difficult to have. She did take offence and she was heard. And by the end of it, when I came to say what I valued about her, it was like she didn't, it fell kind of on deaf ears because I had already given this, you know, tough message. So what I what I practice for myself and what I, you know, suggest to leaders is the first thing is to, first of all, let people know that you've got an issue that you want to talk to them about. I think the old, what is it, positive, negative, alternative sandwich, people are pretty wise to. And mm-hmm. I think it's kind to be honest and it's kind to be clear. And so I think the first thing is to let them know that there's something you want to talk to them about. And if you're worried, you could even say, you know, I'm going to find this a little bit difficult. So just bear with me as I talk through it. So, you know, share a little bit of your your feelings if that feels appropriate. But the first thing that I do is actually just acknowledge that there was an issue that you wanted to talk to them about. I would describe the context, so the facts, the situation, so that you're framing the context around it. You're not just jumping in and accusing or stating the problem. You're kind of giving them an understanding of where you're coming from, why you're raising it and why it's important to you and why it might be important to them as well. So I do that kind of frame and then just go into this is my experience. This is what I've noticed. This is what I've experienced. And sometimes I also say, this is what I really like about what you bring and what I value. So instead of waiting till the end of the conversation to talk about what I value about it, I bring it up the front because I want them to hear that I'm invested in this relationship and I value the relationship. And I want them to know that right up front and to ask them in a way for some permission to have this honest conversation, not in a submissive way, but just in a very straight talking, respectful way. Mm. And so part of what I recommend is getting the frame right in your own mind about what the conversation is. Now, part of this is initially you kind of have to prepare for it, but I feel like as a principle, that's a useful principle because you don't have to write it down. You can have it in your mind. This is, I've got something I need to talk to you about. The reason I'd like to talk to you about it is this. This is why I think it's important. And, you know, I really value, and don't say that you value something unless you really do. So Mm -hmm. it's not about being manipulative or being, you know, um, saying something about someone. But if you're genuinely coming from a place of positive intent and value, then say that and then talk about the issue and what the impact is. Remember to leave some spaces. I think sometimes when people, gen, you know, work up the courage to have a conversation, they're so keen to kind of get get it out that it comes out in a flood, you know, and a lot of words and, that, and there's not a lot of space for the person to listen and to absorb. So they're the kind of things that I do and say, what do you think? Sometimes, you know, you don't even have to ask a question. If you pause, and leave some silence that gives them, creates a space for them to respond to your perspective. So I think about the conversation as a bit of a, you've got to be upfront, I think, about that there is an issue. I think people start to get suspicious if you frame first and then lead into the issue because people normally know. Mm. 
that there's something coming, you know, and that's when you kind of can lose them. So I think you want to be upfront as early as possible and say, look, I've got something I need to talk to you about. Is this a good time? Even that as a beginning, right? I've got something I'd like to talk to you about. Is this a good time? And then that gives them the opportunity to sort of, if they say yes, that's a form of asking for permission, right? Uh Asking for permission and place. Because if they say, actually, it's not a good time, then you can make a time that suits them and you can have a proper conversation. Are you kind of, you're almost forewarning them too, so they can be a bit prepared (laughs) for the emotion or something. Yeah. If it's coming. I wonder as well, Corinne, like those are awesome tips in the moment. I sometimes think that the, you build the platform for having honest conversations before the conversation, you know? So like you, we hear, you've probably heard lots of times, you know, when you go into work with a team and people say, oh guys, you know, we're working on the team. This is a safe space for people to raise, <laughs> you know, whatever your views are. And it's like, that's cool. But just saying it's a safe space doesn't make it so. You know, and, and it's really that's built a long time beforehand. You know, so you can't just say, "Hey, guys, we can throw ideas out there." You know, blah blah blah, because either that's true or not on track record. You know, and I often think as well, who are the people who can give you the most honest, direct feedback that you'll actually listen to and actually accept? So I think it's typically your friends and family, you know, or, or people you have a close relationship with, and people who have your best interests at heart. Right. And I'm actually clear that that's where it's coming from, you know? And so I'm way more likely to listen to challenging, you know, have challenging conversations with someone where I feel like they're aligned actually with my interests versus if I'm in a team and it feels like we're actually not aligned, right? I feel like you have an agenda which is contra to my own one, right? Mm. Because now it's like, well, now there's safety and security things going on for me. Right. So I often think, how do we lay the groundwork way before we even get to, you know, the conversations? Mm. And some of that's by, you know, having those relationships. Maybe some of those relationships come from having these types of conversations too. So I guess it's a bit circular, you know, and practicing them and and doing them. So it's not just in the moment, you know, because if we've had a really tough relationship or something in the past, I'm less likely to want to hear it (laughs) from you, you know? Yeah. And, you know, funny thing is often what's needed when there's some tension in a relationship and a team is more contact, not less. Mm. But what we end up doing is avoiding it because, mm, totally. it, it, you know, it just makes it worse and worse. I agree with you. That's such an important point that you don't wait for things to become an issue. Build the relationship. That's the best way of dealing with conflict actually is not – formulate sentences is actually build the relationship, take an interest in people, you know, check in with them. If you're a team, create some space in your meeting to check in and so everybody can kind of relate to each other as human beings before they get into the work of the team. Remember to sort of, you know, ask people how they're going and listening to them. So it's really looking at the relationship holistically. And I think sometimes if we talk about the circumplex and is, you know, and I've been probably that's been part of my journey is to when you're more task oriented, talking is for getting things done. Uh-huh. And so it can feel like it's a waste of time to have checking in as part of a team meeting or to spend time talking with people. But all of it builds the relationship, all of it builds trust and mutual understanding. 
which is really one of the critical factors of a successful team and a team that can actually get things done very quickly. I also had another thought around what can get in the way. So we've talked about not wanting to hurt, disrespect or offend. We've talked about sometimes someone's reaction stops us. Sometimes it's the not having the words. The other thing that can get in the way is our own response or reactions to the feedback that we get. So I think in order to deal with Often when we work with team doms, I feel like when they say, oh, we really need to have robust conversations, I almost feel that there's a little bit of a subtext is everybody else needs to be open to it because I'm actually okay. But of course, everybody needs to reflect on themselves and reflect on how they help this open conversation and how they may get in their own way and how do they get into the team's way as well. So everybody's fingerprints is on it. You know, if a team's not having robust, honest conversations, it's never going to be just because of one person. It's a dynamic that everybody's got their fingerprints on and so everybody owns it. But I think that there is room and, you know, where it starts is looking at thinking about yourself, thinking about what your your triggers and thinking about where that's coming from and how do you respond to criticism? How do you respond to challenge? is an important thing for people to do in a team as well. It's a great point. And it's, it's, it's hitting me between the eyes right now, Corinne, because I think, you know, we all go up and down in, in that. And I can think of a situation just recently where I probably didn't take some feedback. Great. Right. And so what does that mean next time? You know, if someone's like, oh, I tried giving Dominic some feedback, he didn't really take it particularly well. well I'm not going to do that again. You know, and it was one of those ones, you know, like if you think of the LSI, Sometimes you catch yourself afterwards, like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't probably the most constructive way, you know, to, yeah. to do that. So in that particular situation, look, it was too late. The the horse had bolted. But I did go back to them and say, hey, look, I feel like I didn't approach that in the best way, you know. And so actually, that, so that so that was almost though dealing with that conversation, <laughs> that conflict as soon as yeah. possible afterwards. Once I kind of realised, right, like, yeah, actually, they were trying to give me some feedback, and I wasn't open or ready for it at the time, you know? So, so I think you're right there. It takes two, two to tango, both sides and all that. I wonder as well, Corinne, you know, cause we talked about like the, the people side, lean people in, you know, having that check-in and stuff, building relations. I also think there's room for teams to learn some skills around having these types of conversations. And I, one I see all the time in teams, which is a trap they fall into is advocating. Right? Yeah. So as a team, you know, we're, we're trying to solve this problem, whatever it is. Well, I think we should do, you know, option A, right? Because it's the best option. And then you say, well, I think we should do option B because that's the best option. And then we're A, B, A, B, A, B, back and forth. And it starts to become no longer about the merits of option A or the merits of option B. It's about I get tied up with my idea, right? Like I have to yeah. win the argument because now it's like my ego's on the line kind of you know through my idea i'm so attached to it and you with yours and so really what we want to do especially as like a leadership team we want to get the options out you know we've got option a b and option c and maybe d for that matter we should all be able to speak to the merits of option a and the merits of b and the merits of c and so on right it shouldn't need to be my idea in order to be able to talk to why it, the parts of it that work, right? Now, I might yeah. still have a view that I prefer A over B, 
or whatever, but I should actually be able to form a, maybe bad choice of words, but form an argument for why your idea is a great idea, you know, or what the parts of it are that work. And I think if you can do that, you set the team up for being able to have better conversations because we can let go of it. So being so attached to a particular point and just look at what are all the points, right? And what's the benefit of each, you know, and therefore kind of take a bit more of an objective view of it. Yeah. I was thinking, I think that's a a great, I think there are certain very practical things that teams can do to actually build that skill level. And I think some of them we've talked about it. So we think about sort of framing the issue, explaining what it is, why it's important and why now. And the other thing is focus on generating many options rather than just arguing for yours. So as you said, if you generate a few options, then suspend judgment. Because I think, you know, one of the problems with being open is that people move to judgment too quickly. Once you've moved to judgment, it's very hard to get understanding. Mm. Okay. So it's very difficult to understand someone's perspective if you've already judged it. So part of the the brilliance of actually generating options is that it helps the whole team quite consciously to suspend their judgment, suspend evaluating, making a decision too quickly in favour of looking at every angle of that particular solution. So I think that's really useful. The other thing I think is really useful is being specific. So I think one of the things that gets that creates a fog and a mist and cloudiness in terms of dealing with issues clearly is that people talk in very global language, very, gen, you know, broad generalisations. We always do this or we never do Always that. or your people or some people or, you know, and so it's very difficult to talk sensibly when you don't know specifically what it is that you're you're talking about. So it's important to be specific about it, not in an accusatory way, but in some way that is, you know, that actually calls out, it's like, this would be an example of what I mean. So I think it's difficult to get to the heart of an issue if you're not prepared to name what the issue is. I think that that's really important. I also think it's important to create an opportunity for the other person to share their understanding of what you've said. So I think, you know, paraphrasing, the good old paraphrasing, really important. You know, you you haven't really understood something until you can repeat it back to the person who said it to you to their satisfaction, not your satisfaction, but to Mm. their satisfaction. Mm. That's when you've understood it. So suspend judgment in order to really be able to understand and appreciate. Ask a question before you go into correction. Hey, okay, here's, so here's here's a last question for you, Corinne. And I love those about you know staying curious. One thing I see with teams, and it can be a reason we revisit the same conversation. So I thought it was relevant here. Is we're actually pretty good at generating ideas. We generate lots of ideas. The problem we have is narrowing it down and landing on one. Right. So we've got. 10, 15, 20, you know, 100 options or ideas, but we're not good at saying, well, this is the one that we're actually going to move forward with. And you can stop me there if that's a whole podcast topic on its own. But just, you know, any thoughts on, you know, teams, how to navigate that? Look, I think 
lots of thoughts. I think the the one here that I would say is that one of the things that I notice teams on the whole are not very good at doing is summarising a discussion they've just had and concluding. Mm. Okay, so there's a big discussion. Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's incredibly satisfied with the, the conversation, mm. but there's been all these ideas that have just been left in the air and mm. nothing's, to your point, landed. Mm. So one of the things that you can do is for at least one person, you can take it turns, it doesn't always have to be the leader, to say, okay, let's summarise what just happened, what we've just discussed. So summarise it and can we agree that this is the outcome? So after every kind of conversation, take a minute or two as saying, can we summarise our discussion, A, B, C, D, and are we saying that from this time forward we're going to do X, Y, Z? So it's really as simple as that, but what it means is you bring all those great ideas, you narrow it, you make sure that the team is aligned and agreed and that you're agreed on the same thing. Because if you don't summarise, you haven't confirmed that everybody has landed in the same place, okay? You might just say, so you want to say, this is what we agreed for this reason in this way and we're all saying that the next step is X. So I think it's really important. It's a little practice but really valuable to actually get to alignment and to get coordinated action. That's the value of that little tip is that if you don't summarise, you risk getting fragmented action. People take what they heard away from it. Yeah, if, if I had one word for constructive styles, it'd be clear, right, or clarity. Yeah. And uh, it's just so valuable. Maybe in the spirit of that then, and, and to wrap up, let me have a go at uh, summarising what I've taken away from this conversation. Great. So what I heard was, you know, maybe before we go into, you know, having these tricky conversations is, or an honest conversation is to lay the groundwork first, right? So let's build the relationship, you know, check in with each other, have that in place, that, you know, base level trust in place that we're aligned and so on, going into it in the first place. Then we want to address stuff early, right? Don't let it sit, don't let it fester and get away. And when we do address it, well, we've got some tips about how do we, you know, ask for permission going into it? How do we you know, without talking too much around it, present it in a way where this is what I'm experiencing and, and let me, sh- can I share it with you? Go into it. And there's also some tips and tools for teams around how do we, you know, discuss the options versus advocating and stuff like that. How did I go? What did I miss? Pretty good. That was a big conversation, Dom. So I think you did really well to gather <laughs> all that. I think the main thing is just it's, I'd love for you to share with people your story around nice versus kind because I think what I'd like people to walk away with is it is kind to be clear and it is it's important to do that. So it's not not my one I stole this one from from the Lint team but they talked about the difference between not being nice and being kind and they said being nice is not telling someone they've got spinach in their teeth. Being kind is telling them they've got spinach in their teeth, right? Yeah. And to me, that summarizes the difference between approval. We want to make stuff okay for them versus humanistic encouraging, right? I want to help them be better. Sounds like a good note to end on, Corinne. Go forth and be kind rather than nice. Will do. So, yeah. See you next time. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. Thank you.